Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. When we meet in the Archbishop's Corner, it's always a new adventure, a journey in faith. And today's journey takes us beyond the cross, beyond the tomb, to resurrection life. We are people of hope. Some wise person once said, In my deepest, darkest moments, what really got me through was a prayer. Sometimes my prayer was, help me. Sometimes my prayer was, thank you. What I've discovered is that an intimate connection and communication with my Creator will always get me through because I know my support, my help, is just a prayer away. And it is through prayer that faith can be strengthened, faith in resurrection life. And our local guide to faith is Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair. With just the answer to one question, he may help move us along on life's journey to successfully live out our faith and navigate our way through the challenges of our contemporary world. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into your space, into the Archbishop's Corner. How are you? Well, I'm hanging in there, as we all are these mm-hmm. days. Uh, God is good and merciful. Today uh, is Divine Mercy Sunday, so we need His mercy more than ever. And this is based on the private revelations of St. Faustina, correct? Yes. Uh, very often, devotional life in the Church is sustained or uh, fostered by uh, things that are not part of the deposit of faith, but they are things that are recognized as having a real uh, validity uh, on the, by the Church uh, recognized. So, for example, devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus is attached to St. Margaret Mary. And uh, devotion to the Divine Mercy uh, in the last century, the 20th century, is associated with uh, Sister Faustina Kowalska. Uh, so, uh, yes, that's, that's the uh, origin. But, of course, Divine Mercy is not some creation from nothing. It, it is uh, an aspect of uh, uh, Christ's saving work and of the devotional life of the Church that's always been there. You know, there are a lot of Catholics who are very devoted to the practice of the Divine Mercy Sunday, and they're very frustrated because uh, normally uh, the special graces of that day call for them to go to confession and receive Holy Communion. And obviously that can't happen with the virus and the closed uh, public masses. So uh, I just want to tell our listeners that the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy uh, in Stockbridge, they said that in their opinion, as uh, the uh, promoters of this devotion, that the special graces of that day are still uh, available to people who would make an act of contrition and make a spiritual communion. That is to say, a prayerful desire for Holy Communion, even though it's not possible to receive it, with the intention of going to communion as soon as they can, when when it is uh, available again. And then to say a prayer, either using one from the Divine Mercy devotions or of their own, uh, to express their love for Christ and uh, their desire to uh, participate uh, in, in his uh, work of mercy and redemption for the world. We talk about the divine mercy of Jesus coming into our lives. What responsibility do we have then to be merciful to one another? Well, Jesus made it very clear, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. And he gave several very powerful uh, parables about people who were refused to be merciful in their own lives. And then when they came to the judgment seat of God, uh, they were not shown mercy because they'd not been merciful themselves. Uh, so we, we have to take that very much to heart. 
those are some of the hard sayings of Jesus about uh, uh, the measure you measure to others is the measure that will be used to measure you. So uh, particularly with regard to mercy. Forgive us as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Exactly. Divine mercy is something that was very much in favor by St. John Paul II, who actually canonized St. Faustina, as a matter of fact. Wasn't it back in 2000, the year 2000, Archbishop? Somewhere around there. Yeah. I don't remember the exact yeah. date. Yes, well, I think the uh, Holy Father had a particular uh, sensitivity to it because St. Faustina was uh, from Poland. To use a modern uh, phrase, uh, she got kind of a raw deal at first uh, by the Holy See in Rome. Uh, they did not look favorably on her writings, but uh, the reason was partly because there was some misinterpretation, maybe even some mistranslation. And uh, Pope John Paul tried to and, and did rectify this, and uh, the uh, so it was acknowledged as being a, a legitimate devotional uh, item. It's certainly not part of the doctrine of the faith. Uh, it's not an article of faith. Uh, I mean, believing in divine mercy certainly is, but these particular these particular private uh, revelations to Saint Faustina, like all of those uh, that happen to the saints that the Church recognizes as being valid, there's something that uh, are to, up to the option of the faithful uh, to uh, turn to or not. If we take a look at this Friday, we're going to be brought back to the year 2005 when Pope Benedict XVI was inaugurated as the 265th Pope in the Catholic Church. Since his resignation in 2013, he holds the unique title of Pope Emeritus. What do you feel were the greatest contributions that Pope Benedict XVI made to the Catholic Church, Archbishop? Well, the greatest contribution he made and continues to make, um, first of all, is the example of his own life. Mm. That's the greatest gift that anybody can give to the faith, is living the faith, even in a heroic way, by heroic virtue. And I think, uh, you know, Pope Benedict uh, is a very... Uh, a shy, scholarly person who was thrust into a great public role that he would never have chosen for himself and that he rose to the occasion by God's grace. But his great gift is to be a brilliant theologian. And uh, I think particularly after he was elected, well, let's put it this way, before he was elected Pope, many of his books uh, are tremendously helpful uh, theologically for promoting the faith. But after he became Pope, his homilies, uh, his sermons, are really worthy of the ancient fathers of the church. They are absolutely superb, theologically, devotionally, spiritually. Uh, and I think that that uh, is probably his greatest contribution, really, in, in the long term, over history. Uh, you know, as they say in Latin, scripta manet, what's, uh, what's written remains. And uh, I think uh, these homilies that are available now in writing uh, are really to the great benefit of the church. Yeah, a great intellect for the church he is, isn't he? Yes, very much so. Let's take a look at the road to happiness in life, and this is where we examine some of Pope Francis's writings. I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's address, and we'll ask you, Archbishop, to comment with your own thoughts on, on what the Pope has said. This, for instance, is taken from Pope Francis's address delivered on March 25th of 2017, and is called Learn and Teach Others to Discern. Pope Francis says, As we grow up, we find ourselves surrounded by many voices, all of whom seem to be right. This is when discernment becomes crucial, for it leads to life and resurrection, to life and not to a culture of death. I talk about this a great deal because it is important. Discernment is important for catechism and for life. 
Discernment needs to be part of catechism, spiritual guidance, and homilies. We need to teach children, young people, and adults to discern. We need to teach them to ask for the grace of discernment. Archbishop, your thoughts? Well, yes, of course, this um, suggests Pope Francis's Jesuit uh, background, uh, the, the notion of discernment. You know, uh, St. Uh, Ignatius of Loyola, founder of the Jesuits, on this uh, subject of discernment. And, of course, it's a very um, important thing. We have to ask for the gift of discernment from God to, um, to, to sort out uh, spiritually and uh, intellectually, uh, to sort out uh, what is being presented to us or what uh, the questions are that we face or what is the origin of what we are hearing. You know, to discern, for example, whether something that appears to be good might actually be a temptation from the devil uh, mm -hmm. or to discern that something appears to be bad uh, or evil, but is in fact uh, a, a way that God is giving us through the cross to grow uh, in faith, hope, and love. So it's a matter that that is the uh, very important uh, aspect of the spiritual life. Things aren't always what they seem to be on the surface, um, or at least they have the potential sometimes to be very different uh, if we live them properly, uh, uh, contrary to what they appear to be at first. Pope Francis says we need to teach children, young people, and adults to discern. I'm wondering, how do you teach somebody to discern? Well, I'm not sure it's uh, for little children. It's uh, yeah. Discernment's a little bit more sophisticated than that. But it's, uh, well, I think, obviously, it, 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 uh, anything like this discernment is a gift of the Holy Spirit. We have to pray for that gift to be able to discern wisely and well. Um, you know, I often say a prayer like that before meetings. I ask that God will send the gift of the Holy Spirit so we may discern wisely and well the business that is before us. And I, so that, I think, uh, I, I use that, that prayer and those words a lot. That's a good prayer, and, and it's especially helpful in times when you're entering into a meeting or you're entering into a discussion and you're hearing various sides of, of a particular question and asking the Holy Spirit to give you that, that gift of discernment at this point in time. It's something that, that I might take on your example, Archbishop. Well, go for it. <laughs> uh, we've got several questions that have been submitted by our WJMJ listeners, but before we get into those questions, let's take a look at our Gospel reading on this day when we're talking about divine mercy. And after this Gospel, dramatically presented, then we'll talk with you about its significance for our own lives. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. The doors were shut, but Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, 
and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not be faithless, but believing. My Lord and my God. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Archbishop, what inspiration do you take away from this particular gospel account? Well, of course, this is the gospel of the doubting Thomas. Um, but before that, it is uh, extremely important what our Lord says to the apostles. Uh, first of all, he says, peace be with you. I'm not a ghost who's come back for retribution because you all ran away when I, and didn't defend me when I was uh. being handed over. Peace be with you. Shalom, uh, you know, in Hebrew. Uh, so that's... Uh, was a great relief, you can imagine, and a great healing and balm for their souls uh, that that uh, the risen Christ would say this. Then he says, as the Father sent me, I send you. And that's the whole, how can I say that? That is our Christian mission in a nutshell in that one sentence. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Each of us by our baptism those have those words addressed by Jesus to us. And we talk about discernment. What those words mean for you every day of your life is something that you and I have to discern through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right. How is Jesus sending us into the world, and what is he asking us to do today uh, at our time and place in history? And then he says, Receive the Holy Spirit whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Let none of our uh, Protestant brothers and sisters or dissenting Catholics tell us that we have no basis for the sacrament of penance. Here it is. Jesus didn't just say, well, there's, it's more, there's more to it than even that, but for the purposes of this gospel, uh, there is a communal dimension, a sacramental dimension in the church and in the, in the uh, ordained ministry, the priesthood, uh, for uh, the forgiveness of sins, the sacrament of penance. And then, of course, um, we have uh, Doubting Thomas, and then we have that beautiful line that echoes through the ages, blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Uh, and it's even more than that, because he says, you, Thomas, have come to believe because you've seen me. But blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. He didn't say, blessed are you, Thomas, because you had to first see me. He said, rather, blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. And that's us. So there's an awful lot in this gospel, a very beautiful one for the Easter season, very appropriate one. And this gospel is all about believing. And the disciples believed because they saw him. Thomas didn't believe because he didn't see him. He needed proof. The next time around, he got his proof. I believe, you believe, and we believe. So what proof, as believers, can we give to others who are more like Thomas and, and they need some kind of support? What proof can we give to them? Well, of course, the, we, the, what we bear is a gospel that has the power of God in it. It's not us. The gospel is a living word of Christ through the Holy Spirit. So whenever the gospel is proclaimed... It is proclaimed with power. But to make the gospel uh, credible, uh, it is uh, on the basis of those who are proclaiming it. Are they actually living and doing what the gospel says? And if we do, uh, then, uh, you know, it's not just up to us to make it effective or fruitful. God does that. But we have to be convincing credible witnesses, convincing credible proclaimers of the gospel. And then the rest is up to God. He says, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, whose sins you retain are retained. 
Does this not indicate that Christ wanted his divine mercy to spread across centuries to our present time today? Well, the whole mission of Christ, everything he did was uh, a mission of mercy. It's all about mercy. The mercy of God poured out upon us. Uh, You know, Pope Francis, of course, is very uh, strong on this particular aspect in keeping with, you know, Pope St. John Paul and the divine mercy promulgating this as a divine mercy Sunday. Yes, it's it's all about God's mercy poured out for us. But again, we are free human beings to accept that gift of mercy or not. Uh, and the way we accept it is by renouncing our sinfulness and striving every day uh, to live um, in faith, hope, and love. Archbishop, someone sent me a cartoon that's making its way around the Internet now, and I want to share it with you. It depicts the devil and God standing over the world globe. And the devil says to God, With COVID-19, I have closed your churches. And God replies, on the contrary, I have opened one in every home. That says a lot, don't you think, Archbishop? Well, it does. Indeed, for us, the reception of the sacraments is such a vital part of our faith. Uh, and but, but there is a silver lining in this heavy cloud. And the silver lining is what they... Uh, or at least the potential silver lining, because I hope that it is true that uh, people maybe can't go to church, but maybe that's a way for them to sit down as a family or by themselves and to realize uh, the the importance of uh, faith in the midst of this shadow of death that's upon us and disease. And also for people who now can maybe appreciate more the Mass now that they can't go, And not to mention the many, many ways, and perhaps this is what the cartoon is getting at, is that on the web, on uh, through the media, so many religious uh, broadcasts of the mass and of the uh, uh, messages from priests to their parishioners, etc., are are being able to be broadcast. For those today who really want to uh, be in touch with their Catholic faith, there are just a host of things, local and national, international, that they can turn to. It's no substitute for the sacraments, but in the short term, maybe it can make them appreciate the sacraments more once we're able to get back together. It's true that the family can bring the presence of God's love into the home, and, uh, and, and that's where that love begins and is developed, as even the, the sacrament of baptism clearly points out, that, that the faith, the root of faith, is within the home and is flourished and nurtured within the home. Yes, but this is a two-edged sword because on the one hand, uh, it is a way of people uh, participating through the media remotely in the context of their own family, but that is no substitute for the church coming together. It, it, it complements it, but when our churches are open again, it is important, uh, vital, essential that we come together as the one body of Christ and worship in the sacraments. You just released, or through the the Archdiocese, just released a a statement that our churches are going to remain closed for public worship for uh, an indefinite period of time now. Nobody knows when they're going to open again. When you first made the announcement back in the middle of March, it was that they were going to be closed until the 30th of, of April. Now that's being extended. Can you talk a little bit about the reasoning behind that? Well, yes, but I, I am very careful about putting it quite that way. We have said to the priests that it will remain until further notice, uh, but I don't want to make it sound like it's indefinite. We are going to reopen those churches, but we have to do it in concert with the civil authorities and the health authorities. The reason we didn't assign another date 
is because first it was April, now it's May 20th. And who knows, maybe if they go county by county or if they're, uh, they they get a handle on this, maybe it'll be earlier mm-hmm. that, that uh, in some places it can open. So I want to emphasize that until further notice or indefinitely does not mean that, uh, that we anticipate this going on forever. Uh, it simply means that to try to pin an exact date right now is a little iffy because uh, things could actually be more optimistic than we, we think right now, or it could be that there's going to be some further extensions. Archbishop, let's move on to some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. For instance, Lou from Wolcott says, A few weeks ago I heard on the news that Pope Francis has said the coronavirus pandemic is one of nature's responses to humans ignoring the ecological crisis. I've been wondering the same thing. What are your thoughts on the Pope's comment? Well, obviously the Pope is expressing um, a personal opinion about something that, uh, you know, you can speculate about. He would be the last person to say this is some dogmatic uh, definition mm-hmm. of the faith, Catholic faith. It's his personal reflection on, on this. And, you know, ultimately the questions like that are scientific, they're philosophical, and I suppose, yes, you could say theological, but I, 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 I think it's kind of a one of those kind of thoughts that people express when they're trying to, to cope with what's happening in the world. And people can have different perspectives about that, I'm sure. I agree. Mary from Suffield says, I have two children that are significantly feeling the impact of coronavirus. My oldest is absolutely devastated that her senior year has been affected so greatly. My 13-year-old son has severe anxiety and has been dealing with panic attacks since this all began. I've been praying for them constantly, but I am not sure what to do. How can I encourage my children to look toward the future with hope, regardless of the world's circumstances? Well, Mary, that's a tough one. Um, you know, when you're dealing with people who have uh, who are emotionally uh, more sensitive than others, and that's always been the case and always will be, then, uh, I mean, we all have our challenges one way or the other, uh, emotionally, mentally, psychologically. Uh, but for people who are particularly sensitive in the current circumstance, we have to do the best we can. I really don't have any professional advice to give you. Maybe a counselor uh, or uh, someone like that could, could give some advice. Obviously, you're a, a listener. I, I'm confident you're a person of faith. Uh, and I would hope that the spiritual religious dimension of this, uh, what our faith believes and teaches about God's providence, about the world, about uh, uh, us always being in his hands, no matter what happens, would serve as the basis for your uh, whatever you can communicate to your children. So it's not just a, you know about uh, scientific facts or some psychology, not to not to belittle those, but that there's a, a profound spiritual uh, understanding of the world and God's providence for us that should guide us no matter what happens. Della from Danbury says, "What are parishes and the archdiocese doing to help those?" who perhaps have lost jobs and may be seeking assistance with food, clothing, or shelter? Well, Catholic Charities is um, making every effort to continue uh, its activities within the strictures that are imposed by the, uh, you know, the government. Uh, um, and distancing not, regulations. Not distancing and all that. Uh, similarly with our parishes, I know that uh, I've heard that some of the soup kitchens that are, are helped, uh, funded in part by the Archbishop's Annual Appeal, are finding ways to do it through distancing. Um, so w- the church uh, in the archdiocese uh, continues uh, as best it can to carry on 
the works of, of uh, charity. Um, we have certainly uh, given all of our parishes administratively uh, what they need uh, to, to help them to, to make use of the government assistance that's available. You know, one of the things, too, the archdiocese and the parishes have to be very concerned about is our own employees, yeah. uh, you know, that they not lose their uh, health care uh, and, and, and that kind of thing. So we've, you know, been very clear that parishes should not just be um, uh, dismissing people or, or, or anything. We have to do, we have to cope in a way that's responsible, uh, that respects the needs of the, of the people that, that we employ. So uh, that's what we're trying to do as best we can. Staff of parishes, are they still being paid, although they may not be working, Archbishop? Well, we've come up with, uh, worked very hard to come up with some uh, administrative things that will help. We told it we had one plan that goes through uh, end of April, and now we have another plan going in effect uh, beyond that. You know, it, we're just trying as best we can. One of the things is our health care, where it was uh, the program we have has been extremely well managed, and uh, we actually are able to because the health care for all uh, uh, the workers in the parishes and the diocese are covered by one plan we're able to reduce the the uh, the health care benefit bill by 50 percent for a short for uh, well a relatively short time but to help the parishes get through this so that we're doing everything we can you know yeah. uh to to uh to ease uh for parishes their their uh, their burden because they have responsibilities to people too you know the employees of those that have schools their teachers uh, that's an extremely important thing as well. Craig from Guilford says, During the COVID-19 crisis, are extraordinary ministers of the Eucharist still making house visits? Well, they shouldn't be. You shouldn't be taking Holy Communion to anyone under these circumstances. And with the, the social distancing, it might be best. What I really like is that uh, parishes are calling their parishioners. And I, could, I would imagine that it would be wonderful if extraordinary ministers who normally bring the Eucharist to someone, if they could... Instead, give them a phone call and see how they're doing and some encouragement and make a visit that way. That's an excellent idea. Anne from Wallingford says, how much assistance is Malta House able to provide during the pandemic? Well, Anne, the Malta House of Care uh, has had to suspend the uh, Malta van visits uh, that normally took place on various campuses throughout the Archdiocese. But uh, the Malta van, one of them right now, is parked uh, in the yard of St. Francis Hospital, uh, and it's part of the um, of the uh, operation there for uh, testing for the uh, virus. And I'm sure that Malta is doing everything it can uh, because it, you know, so many of its uh, members are uh, are uh, themselves uh, in healthcare, physicians and nurses, that they're doing whatever they can to uh, to help. Let's see if we can't get in one more question, Archbishop. This is from Steve from Norfolk. He says, my wife and I have been looking forward to hosting Easter at our house this year. My daughter in Arizona was planning on coming home for it, along with several other family members we don't often get to see. My wife would like to celebrate Easter next month, depending on what happens in the weeks ahead with the coronavirus. Is it okay to have an Easter celebration closer to Pentecost? Well, Steve, yes. I mean, uh, certainly liturgically, we can't change the date of Easter, and we can't, you know, have Easter Mass in the middle of the summer as if it were Easter. No, that we can't do. But for as far as the celebration in your home and bringing people together, and we pray to God that it will be able to do that closer to Pentecost, I see no problem with that at all. You know, the church says that every Sunday of the year is a little Easter. Every Sunday is a day of the resurrection. 
Uh, so if you want to have a dinner or family celebration along those lines, God bless you. I think that would be wonderful. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Lord, on this Sunday of the Divine Mercy, your Divine Mercy that pours out from your wounded heart, we know that you are risen from the dead and you are the source of all life and health and blessing of body, mind, soul, and spirit. So we ask you, Lord, that you would bless us abundantly on this day and help us uh, in the midst of the challenges and sorrows that we face with the pandemic to always be filled with faith and to do all we can to help those in need and even as we ask you to uh, rid the world of this uh, great uh, pestilence. And we make our prayer in your name, who live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for joining us, inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. Uh, We appreciate the time that you spend with us. You have a wonderful week. Stay safe. We pray for you. Pray for all of us. Thank you. Gladly. Gladly.